I want to join everybody else in welcoming you, welcoming you this morning to Metrocrest. Thank you for sharing this uh, lovely Lord's Day with us. Um, there have been so many things I'm learning at Metrocrest. Uh, it has been a very, very interesting first few months. My first hundred days have come and gone, and I'm having a great time continuing to learn from you and about you and about God's work here in our church family. One of the interesting conversations I've had lately has to do with what I'm about to do, which is read the sermon text. Um, I come from a tradition where the sermon text is treated like any other Bible reading. Uh, It's read by the pastor. Sometimes it's read by other people in the congregation. And I had a very interesting conversation a couple weeks ago about how at Metrocrest, like in many other PCA churches, the sermon text is actually sort of part of the sermon. It's part of the explanation, the application of God's Word. And I've really been helped to think that through, uh, to really make the connection between the reading of this Bible passage and then the application of this Bible passage. And so what I intend to do, what the session has asked me to do, and what I intend to do is to read the Bible passage we're about to read. I'm going to pray before I do that. I'm going to ask for God to open it to our hearts, my heart and your heart, and that we'll be able together to learn exactly what it is God wants us to learn. So if you would, please stand. And our sermon text this morning is Acts chapter 18, verses 1 to 17. This is Paul. Let me pray as we open this passage. Father, please send your Holy Spirit upon us as we read your word. Uh, Please help us and uh, grant, Father, that we'll be able to hear exactly what it is you want us to hear. For Jesus' sake, amen. This is Luke writing about Paul. It says, After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, This man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, See to it yourselves. 
I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Let's pray. Holy Father, as you've blessed the reading of your word, so, Father, would you also bless the study of your word as we reflect together on this passage from the book of Acts. Uh, Please send your spirit that we might learn exactly what it is you want us to learn, Father, that we might believe your word, obey it, rejoice in it. For Jesus' sake, amen. Amen. Please be seated. If you have access to one of the pew Bibles in front of you, you might want to take a look at it. Uh, I'm going to be referring to not only the passage I just read, but a couple of other references across the book of Acts. So you might want to grab one of those Bibles. Acts chapter 18 is on page 927, and uh, I encourage you to look at that as we go. I had a great lunch this week. Uh, Jay Marble and I I went uh, along with uh, Laura and Colin to a staff lunch to celebrate Laura's birthday. And while we were there, Jay and I started talking about mission trips. And we started talking about how exciting it would be if maybe this year uh, Metrocrest were able to renew its long-standing tradition of mission trips for our young people. Uh, no definite plans have been made, but I know Jay has been talking to parents and kids and sort of gauging interest levels and whether people are ready in this time of COVID to consider a mission trip, maybe even one abroad. We'll see. Lots and lots of things to discuss, lots of plans to evaluate. But it was a very interesting conversation, and it just reminded me how in my own life mission trips have been so very, very rewarding. Um, Our own church, uh, back when I was at Christ Church Carrollton, uh, did a mission trip to the Bahamas. And there were several of you who are here who made it to that trip, and you'll know what an incredibly rewarding experience it was to go and to come alongside some Christians working there in the Bahamas and to reach out in Christ's name to a very, very different culture, different language. Uh, A lot of people, of course, everybody speaks English, but there's also a huge ethnic diversity, lots of languages, including the local languages, dialects that people speak. It was a very, very interesting experience. Uh, I loved it. It it had an impact on my life in, in my Uh, Late 50s, I was blessed to go and and be impacted by the mission trip. My daughter, Grace, whose birthday is today, by the way, she and her siblings are watching online. Hi, guys. Um, My daughter, Grace, uh, was the first of our children to go on a mission trip, and it changed her life. Uh, I'm a big proponent of youth mission trips, uh, partly because of the experience of our family. Uh, She came back and, and would tell you to this day that her experience at her first mission trip down in uh, frontier Mexico made such an impact on her understanding of the gospel to really begin to understand that God has a plan not just for America, not just for Texas, but for the whole world. He has a plan for the whole world, and he's working in the whole world. And uh, that really impacted her, and, and through her, it actually impacted our family and and then our church. It's a great blessing. So Jay, I really encourage you in your evaluations. I'll be praying for you. Let's all pray for Jay to figure out if this might be the year to consider another mission trip uh, here in America or somewhere else. We're praying for you. Uh, This has been in the background of my mind and my thinking as I I was studying this week for this morning, uh, Acts chapter 18. 
This is actually the uh, conclusion of Paul's second mission trip, uh, or his missionary journey, as it's sometimes called. Uh, There are three, traditionally, three different mission trips recorded of Paul's in the book of Acts. In fact, you could say Acts is a record of mission trips. Uh, Peter, Philip, and others, and especially Paul. Uh, Some scholars argue that there might be as many as 17 mission trips of Paul. But as I say, three are recognized as sort of the traditional number. The first mission journey is in Acts chapters 13 and 14. Uh, This takes Paul from Antioch in Syria and returns, sort of a round trip uh, to and from um, Antioch in Syria uh, via Cyprus and Galatia, including another city called Antioch in Galatia. If you're reading along through Acts, you'll bump into this, uh, this word, this name, uh, Antioch, a couple of times. Well, there are a couple of Antiochs, Antioch in Syria as well as Antioch in Galatia. Uh, the third missionary journey begins in Acts chapter 18 in just a few verses, verse 18, um, and goes through chapter 21. This also begins... Uh, in Antioch in Syria, and it's a round trip to Jerusalem uh, via Ephesus and Macedonia, uh, Paul actually traveling uh, as he makes his way uh, to take the gospel to other parts of the world. Some scholars think there might have been at least another fourth mission trip, but we're going to stick with the idea of three for now. The second missionary journey is probably the longest description. It's... uh, chapters 15 to 18, including the passage we're looking at today. It starts in Antioch in Syria. It returns to Antioch in Syria via Galatia, Asia, and then Macedonia in modern-day Europe. Uh, This second missionary journey was a particularly important one because a lot of the churches in Europe uh, began in this missionary journey. So it's, it's particularly important to those of us who have Uh, European ancestry. It sort of traces the beginning of the gospel ministry in Europe, in that part of the world. So uh, for me, it it resonates very powerfully. It's a beautiful description of how the gospel came to my ancestors, who were worshiping sticks and forests and and rocks in those days. And the Lord had mercy and brought Paul there to Europe to begin the proclamation of the gospel. Well, uh, this morning we're looking at this concluding uh, vignette from Paul's second missionary journey, and it begins chapter 18, verse 4, sorry, verse 1 through 4. It says, after this, Paul left Athens, that's where he was in the last Sunday's reading. He went to a place called Corinth, that's on the opposite side of the uh, same Greek peninsula where you find Athens. He found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy, where Rome is, of course, uh, with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. Paul begins this last vignette in his second journey, really following a model that he's often used. When he goes to a place, he makes these connections, and he particularly concerns himself with reaching out to those in the synagogue. He goes 
and he tries to reason with them. He tries to explain to them about the gospel. In fact, chapter 18, verse 5 says that Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. That's an interesting choice of words. It certainly explains the fact that the Jews in Corinth knew about the Christ. What they needed to be persuaded of was that Jesus was him. Jesus was the Christ. So it had a great deal to do with Paul's apologetic strategy. He was going to people who knew about the Christ, who knew about the Old Testament, and he goes to them and he tries to persuade them, to reason with them, that Jesus is that person that they had known to expect. And that was a model that Paul used uh, in a lot of his journeys. He would go to the Jewish people and try to explain to them who Jesus was. Look, if you would, over at Acts chapter 15, verse 36. It's on page 924. How did Paul begin his second journey? Well, Acts 15, 36 tells us, after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. That was Paul's plan when he left Antioch in Syria to go on his second missionary trip. During the first missionary trip, he'd gone and planted a number of churches. His second missionary trip, the purpose, the stated purpose, was to go and visit those same churches and see how they were doing, to encourage them. And bear in mind, once again, this was primarily Jewish converts. Paul left on this mission journey expecting to go and encourage Jewish believers Uh, to live into their understanding, their deepening understanding of the Christ, their deepening understanding of the Old Testament. And that's what Paul intended to do with his friend Barnabas. Uh, They have a disagreement, it says, uh, in chapter 15, verses uh, 37 and uh, following. Uh, Paul and Barnabas had a disagreement. Disagreements are not unheard of in the Christian life. You don't have to be a Christian for long to realize there are disagreements And so Paul and Barnabas have a disagreement. It actually has to do with names we know very well. Uh, Mark, who wrote, we believe, the Gospel of Mark. He's also called John. Uh, It has to do with Silas, who is a close friend of of Paul's. He's actually accompanying Paul as he makes his way through this second missionary journey. Um, And they go, uh, they're separate directions. Uh, Similar goal, similar purpose, but they go and seek to go a different itinerary, if you will. So that was Paul's intention when he left on his second missionary journey. But it turns out Paul's second missionary journey was a surprising journey. Because after a few verses, it turns out in chapter 16 that God has other plans. God has other plans. As it turns out, in chapter 16, after visiting Derbe and Lystra, and they pick up this young man, Timothy, there, who's a Jewish convert. He's circumcised because his background is Jewish. Uh, They take uh, Timothy with them, and instead of going to visit the churches that they had already planted that involve mostly Jewish converts, instead, in chapter 16, verse 6 and following, the Holy Spirit gets involved. And Paul has a vision, a call from the Lord 
from Macedonia, which was not a place Paul had ever visited. And this vision came to Paul and said, please come help us. It was a a call from a a place that was helpless, a, a place that was not on Paul's itinerary, a place where there was no serious gospel witness that we know anything about. Uh, The Holy Spirit had been forbidding Paul to go to the uh, province of Asia. But that was where uh, this call came from. Macedonia was part of the province of Asia. But the Holy Spirit now, in the midst of this second journey, just as it's beginning, the Holy Spirit comes to Paul and says, change your plans. You're coming with me. And Paul immediately obeyed. (laughs) I'm not very quick to obey, but Paul was. He was eager to go where the Holy Spirit wanted him to go. That's where he wanted to go, regardless of his own plans. He wanted to go where the Holy Spirit wanted him to go. And so in chapter 16, verse 11, they sail from Troas. They make direct voyage to Samothrace. The following day to Neapolis. In verse 12, from there to Philippi, which is the leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. And here is where European mission begins in a very focused way. Here in Acts chapter 16 on a journey that was intended to be to the places Paul had already been, the Holy Spirit leads Paul to a place that he has never been. To a people who have never heard of Jesus, who know nothing about the Christ, who know nothing about the Old Testament, most of them. To whole regions where most of the people, the great majority of the people, have no idea what the Old Testament says about the Christ, let alone Jesus. So Paul's journey becomes a very surprising journey. The Holy Spirit leads Paul to a place he had not intended to go. I don't know about you, but my experience of the Christian life is a lot like Paul's. I have my plan. I have my way of thinking of the way ahead. And along comes the Holy Spirit and he revises the whole thing, just rip, (laughs) and we start all over again, and we discover that God has a different plan. It may overlap my plan. It may not. It may not. But God leads us where he wants us to go, and over time, we learn to, to heed his voice. Over time, he graciously teaches us that it is always best to do what he wants us to do. Because what he wants to do will bring glory to him in eternity and blessing upon blessing to us and through us as we follow him. And that's what Paul is learning here in this surprising journey. Of course, it's the limited usefulness of man-made plans I'm a a little bit of a planner. I'm learning to be more of a planner. I appreciate planning. So please plan as you think about a mission trip. But I will tell you, one of the things I'm learning is that that ultimately my plans don't matter very much. Jay, I know you've 
experience the same thing. Ultimately, our plans are of very little concern in eternity. What's really important is God's plan, what he does through us, through our planning and through our lack of planning, through our surprising journeys. He leads us where he wants us to go. James, thank you for sharing your testimony. There's great power in someone who's willing to stand up and say over and over again, I was, I was unstable. I didn't exactly know what I was doing. And yet God kept working and opening doors and directing and helping. You know, that's my story too. I bet it's your story. And I know it's our church's story. I know it's our church's story. We're a church learning our own mission journey. We're also on this journey with the Lord, going as He leads us. Just as He led Paul, so the Holy Spirit is leading us through His sovereign Word. Through His sovereign Word. That's how He speaks to us. That's how He directs us. Paul shows again and again and again how he looks to the sovereign Word of God as as the ultimate direction for him. And we learn the same thing. God directs us on our journey through his word. And let me tell you, it is always a surprise, isn't it? I mean, aren't you always surprised at how God has done this amazing thing? I was over here working on this and he's done this. It's it's amazing to me. It's it's breathtaking, honestly. Uh, Larry had a similar story last week. I, I tell you, You'll hear it a lot. You'll hear it a lot because God's at work in all kinds of surprising ways. And here is one of the ultimate surprises. Here's one of the ultimate surprises. God directs Paul away from his planned itinerary to go into Philippi and then to Athens, Berea, and Thessalonica, Berea, Athens, and then here to Corinth. Corinth was a Roman colony. It was a city that had been destroyed multiple times in its most recent manifestation as Paul encountered it in the first century AD. It was a deeply Roman colony. It had been destroyed by fires and earthquakes and and Roman armies. And the, the Corinth that Paul came to was a deeply pagan city. A deeply pagan city. A wealthy city. It was on trade routes. It had enormous trade wealth. It was a very wealthy city, but it was a deeply, deeply confused city. Not as intellectual as Athens. We saw that last week. Athens was this intellectual capital, so intellectually arrogant and so confused. Well, Corinth was a little less intellectually arrogant, but had great wealth and great powers, a Roman colony. sort of represented the power of Rome, the, the great world power. And so they had their own kind of arrogance. And that was the city Paul came to. He went about his business as he usually did. He sought out the Jews. He tried to preach to them. And that was the great surprise, that Paul came to this city of all the cities to go to. And it was here in the midst of this surprising journey that Paul makes a very surprising decision in light of everything else that he's been doing so far. Look at chapter 18, verses 5 to 8. It says, When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, as he always did, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. 
And when they opposed and reviled him, notice what he does. He shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own hands, your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, that's interesting because Paul is thought of as the apostle to the Gentiles. Well, here is the point at which, in his own understanding of his ministry, in his own understanding of the work that he believes God has called him to, he has a radical decision to change. He decides that actually the work among the Jewish people, he's done what he can do. And you will know through the entire first journey and through the second journey to this point, over and over again, Paul has encountered resistance from the traditional Jewish authorities. They get angrier and angrier and angrier with him. They want to kill him. As a matter of fact, there is a sense in which Acts is building on that theme, the The Jewish authorities wanted to kill Paul, just like the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem had wanted to kill Jesus. And there's this growing realization that the ministry to the Jewish people had, in a sense, gone the course. It had done what God intended. Now, he's still working among the Jewish people two millennia later. But there was this dramatic shift in primary focus. You see, the book of Acts includes this idea of ministry to the Gentiles, but the primary focus was to the Jewish people, the chosen people, God's people from the Old Testament. That had been the primary mission strategy. You go to a new place and you find the synagogue and you teach the people who knew the Jewish scriptures. That had been the primary strategy. But here in Acts 18, there's this new strategy a spirit-given strategy that Paul understands now he has come to the Gentiles in a specific way. That's what he intends to do. That's what he sets out to do. And he goes about doing it in the rest of this little section. He goes and he ministers to a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God, a man clearly with a Gentile background. Paul ministers to him. Paul preaches to him. Uh, He is... Uh, one who lives next door to the synagogue, and Paul shares the gospel with him. And he goes to the house of this Gentile. And it says in verse 8, the ruler of the synagogue becomes angry, and he's going to um, take Paul and punish him. And that's uh, the, the, the condition coming into the conclusion of chapter 18. Uh, Sorry, this section of chapter 18. Paul makes this surprising decision and it encounters resistance. The Jewish people, rather than letting up on Paul, they intensify their hatred for Paul. They decide through this uh, man uh, who led the synagogue to punish Paul. We read about this in verses 12 to 17. Uh, They take Paul and take him to the Roman authorities and try to punish him. Paul's surprising decision has the expected results. Uh, There's resistance to him. Decisions that we make might also encounter resistance. It's no proof at all that we're somehow out of step with the Lord when our difficult decisions are met with resistance. I think there's some expectation in our mind that if we're walking 
in step with the Lord, going where He leads us, that things will go smoothly, right? If I'm doing what the Lord, the God of the universe wants me to do, won't things in the universe sort of line up where I have no problems? I think there have been points in my Christian life where I thought my decisions were somehow in, in, invulnerable, that I, I couldn't make any wrong decisions, that God was just going to sort of bring forth flowers and sunshine. You don't have to walk with Jesus for very long to realize that's not going to be the case. And Paul certainly knew that. Paul knew that he would make decisions in accordance with the Scriptures as he was being led by the Spirit that would actually result in hardship, even persecution. We're very naive if we somehow think we're going to escape persecution if we walk faithfully with Jesus Christ. Our decisions will not deliver us always from hardship. In fact, the faithful decision, like with Paul, might very often result in hardship. So Paul's second journey is a surprising journey. It includes this surprising decision. But in verses 9 to 17, especially verses 9 to 10, we're given a surprising assurance. Look at uh, chapter 18, verses 9 and 10. Paul is on this journey. He's made this difficult decision. Verse 9, The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking, and do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. Actually, the rest of this section, verses 12 to 17, is an example of God miraculously delivering Paul from one particular episode of hardship. It would have been a hardship that would have prevented Paul from doing what he was supposed to do. And so God, in this vision, tells Paul, don't worry, keep on speaking, do as I tell you, and I will prevent in this period of time the hardship from stopping you from doing your work. It's a very special promise, one that Paul did not always experience. But here in Corinth, God specially gave Paul a period of favor. It actually says that Paul stayed a long time. In verse 11, a year and six months in Corinth. That that was a very long period of time for Paul. Thanks in part to his friends who were tent makers, he was able to make a living. Thanks in part to the favor God had given him among the Gentiles, Paul was able to settle down and for a year and a half he taught the word of God. See, that's what Paul understood himself to be doing. He was teaching the word of God. What we're trying to do here this morning, that's what Paul aimed to do. Now he was speaking to people who didn't know the scriptures, So that no doubt would have affected the way he was preaching to them just as it affected the way he was preaching in Athens. But he was still doing the same thing. He was preaching the word. He was teaching the scriptures among them. That's what Paul did in this surprising journey. And and notice the last thing that the Lord tells Paul at the very end of verse 10. For I have many in this city who are my people. That really is a surprising assurance. 
Remember, the Jewish faith was, as they understood it, as it was properly lived out, was that they were God's chosen people, right? That was kind of the basis of their Jewishness. They were God's unique chosen people. And they had turned that into a kind of spiritual arrogance and then a cultural arrogance. They had come to see themselves as somehow separate from the rest of the world in the sense that they lorded over the rest of the world. They they called Gentiles dogs and meant it. But actually, the the Lord says to Paul, I have many in this city who are my people. You see what the Lord is doing? He's, He's opening up, he's broadening Paul's understanding of the gospel itself. It had been slowly dawning on him, but here in Acts chapter 18, the Lord makes it plain to Paul and through Paul to us that God has a plan that includes the whole world. It's not just Carrollton. It's not just Texas. It's not just America. It's, it's the Bahamas. It's Taiwan. It's to the ends of the world. God has a worldwide plan. And get this, he has people there. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't depend on us to do the work that only the Holy Spirit can do. I guarantee you right now, I don't know exactly how, that's an understatement, but God is at work around the world right now. He's opening hearts. He's opening minds. He's preparing people to receive the fullness of the gospel when it's proclaimed. He is going ahead as the work of the great evangelist, opening people to prepare them to receive the gospel when it is brought by the servants whom he sends. Paul sees that in Corinth, and he sees that again and again and again in spite of hardship. The the promise given to Paul in Corinth was very specific and and had a particular purpose. And when Paul left Corinth, guess what? He went back to hardship. He endured hardship. Did that stop him from going? No. Paul went and taught and preached because he was learning what we are learning. That we work for a sovereign God, a surprising God, who sends us on these journeys. We're not sure where he's going to take us. We're not sure what he's going to do through us. We make our little plans and he shows us that he's bigger than our plans. He's doing more than we can imagine through his word, through us. And he's at work right now preparing for that mission trip, Jay, wherever it is. He already knows. He knows where, he knows exactly when, he knows exactly who is going and to whom they will go. Right now he knows that. That is a very exciting way to live. It's kind of unnerving. It doesn't fit well with my desire to know all the plans in advance. But it's so exciting. Yes, it's surprising, but it's so exciting to know that God is pleased to work through the likes of me and you and us, opening new vistas, opening new opportunities. Well, I want to live that way. I want our church to live that way. Lead us, Lord. Do with us what pleases you to do. 
because we know you are working for good, just like Bill reminded us. He is working for good in us, through us, in spite of us. He is working for good, and we can walk with him confident of that great assurance.